Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's college football show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman, with producer Eli back there with our Week 12 preview, previewing the six biggest games of Week 12. Only a couple weeks left in the college football regular season. Then we got Conference Championship Saturday, and then we find out who the four teams will be in the college football playoff. And Don, you know, there's basically, I would say, probably nine teams left that can make the college football playoff. And we're going to talk about four of them in this preview because four of them have some pretty huge games this week. Yeah, it's a lighter schedule this week, but you've got games that are still wicked important and, and teams that really, even though they're going to be favored in these games, they're not going to be, although except Washington isn't um, yeah. by the line, but these these are not going to be easy games. We're just, we're at the, we've been at the time of year, we're at the time of year where every game is tense, any mistake can kill you. Um, and honestly, when you're one of these top teams, these teams start gunning for you, man. You get their best. Mm-hmm. You get their best every time. Yeah, absolutely. So before we start, I want to quickly plug um, our podcast as well. You know, if you don't want to see Dalton and I's faces every week, which I would be totally fine with, and I completely understand if you don't, you can listen to us on anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever. Um, And another reason why you should be listening to our podcast is later on in the offseason, Dalton and I are going to be doing a lot of mailbags where you guys can send in your questions and we'll answer them here on the show. And the only way you could really do that is if you leave a five-star review or leave a review on any of the, the podcast suppliers that you listen to. And then if you do that, you leave your question in the review as well. We'll get to your questions in a future mailbag episode. So please go support the podcast as well as the YouTube channel again um, to do that. But before we start with our week tell preview, we always have to start, of course, with a reaction to the college football playoff rankings that we had last night. It was kind of sandwiched in between the two massive college basketball games. Um, and we had some changes at the top with Georgia taking over that number one spot from Ohio State, who falls to number two. Michigan is at number three still. Florida State is still at number four. And then the two Pac-12 schools, Washington and Oregon, are there at five and six. What were some of your takeaways from the third week that we've seen from the college football playoff committee? Uh, not a whole lot, obviously. I'm cool with that top five with what Georgia's done the last two weeks. And, yeah. and you and me, I think we're still in the boat that Texas should be ahead of Oregon at mm-hmm. six, but that's obviously not getting fixed. They're going sometimes with eye test and sometimes with resume and whatever they feel like. So we, I've, I've kind of accepted that as a loss. Um, I didn't take away a whole lot from it. I'm cool with Georgia at one. I really thought it was cool that Missouri even though they're ahead of Louisville with one loss, got up to number nine. I think that's very well-deserved. Yeah. Honestly, I think they could play with anybody, and there's probably there might be a couple of teams in that top eight that they could beat. I, I really mm-hmm. thought it was cool to see Missouri at nine. And I think you have one also. I think the one thing I don't really understand is how Iowa got all the way back up to 16. Dude, that's crazy. Um, and I know <laughs> if, they, if they run the table here, they'll win the Big Ten West, and they'll get to play Ohio State or Michigan and, and go through the same routine they do every year. But I'm not sure. Much in the same sense of Tennessee beating UConn last week and moving up several spots, I'm not sure what beating Rutgers – really does to move them up i think it was four spots from where they were last week six spots just the way they are offensively i guess i guess scoring 22 points for iowa is a major accomplishment that gets them into the up to number 16 so i don't really get it it's kind of a small gripe um that'll you know they're gonna end up ranked because they don't have another game to lose outside of the big 10 championship but uh, yeah, those 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 are the only couple takeaways I had from it. Not not a, not any real big change until we either start seeing some upsets or we get these mega games that are coming. Yeah, 
Yeah, Iowa move up six spots, actually. So they were 22 last week, and now they're 16 after beating Rutgers by 22. Which, listen, Rutgers is a solid team. They're having a really good year. But at the same time, it's like, man, I, don't, I had Iowa at 21 in my personal ranking. So another thing I hated, uh, Liberty fell out of the top 25 for God knows what reason. I mean, they're 10-0 and right now. They were in the top 25 last week, and now they're outside the top 25, even though they're 10-0. and I think, listen, you can make the argument all you want. Conference USA is probably the worst conference in America. I agree with that. But at the same time, we're at the point of the season. We have two gate. We have two weeks left. Um, a ten and zero team is a ten and zero team. You have to put them in somewhere. I, I mean, James Madison obviously won't be ranked because of uh, they're not allowed to be in the you know postseason right now. But Liberty has no such qualms against them. So I think Liberty absolutely should be in the top twenty five. I even have Liberty above Tulane right now in my ranking. I think what Liberty's done um, is has really has impressed me and I think they deserve a spot. I have them at nineteen and, and they don't even have them in the top twenty five. So I didn't like that too much. Um, and then another thing, James Madison not being in as you know, it's just you can't really get too upset about it. But yeah, overall it was a it was a fine ranking. I, I, I like a lot of the things they did. I still hate Oregon being at six. Um, I also don't like Washington being above, uh, being below, excuse me, Florida State. I think what Washington's done this year now, especially after the Utah win, they've had a lot of really good wins on their resume. I would probably put them at number four right now. It's, again, it's a small gripe. It's not going to matter ultimately in the long run. But right now, I, I think Washington deserves to be number four over Florida State right now. I, I don't take a big issue really on either side of that argument because I think the precedent's been set. If Georgia, Florida State, and Washington all run the table, yep. they're going to get in. The loser of Michigan, Ohio State will just be out, barring any other weird circum like Iowa winning the Big Ten or something. But I, I, I don't, I don't mind it either way because you're you can't obviously you can't get five undefeated teams. So yeah. The, the precedent's been set. The fact that they're all at least the top five as the five undefeateds is what it is. I, th I think any argument right this minute between Washington and Florida State four and five doesn't matter. In the same way that I don't think any argument really between Georgia and Ohio State, it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm cool with Georgia at one. I was cool with Ohio State at one before. I, I, the, fact that, the fact is they're, all those teams are in their own driver's seat. And Florida State and Washington, especially because they don't have to play, you know, Ohio State and Michigan have to play each other. So yeah. take care of business. Don't worry about if you're four or five right now, because at the end of the day, run the table, you'll be in the top four. Yeah, I will say the only thing that does matter for that, though, is that seeding could matter at the end of the day, which, again, you're playing either Georgia or Ohio State or Georgia or Michigan probably at the end of the day. But at the same time, it was like, there might be a, a scenario where you might want to play one of the other teams. Maybe you think you match up better with another team. So the seeding for three and four could ultimately be a, a big factor as well. So um, that's what we got for our college football playoff reaction. Now let's get to the games that we're actually going to talk about. Um, with the, Starting off first, the noon game, number 10 Louisville at Miami. So the storyline, honestly, in this game is Louisville. Again, I said before there are nine teams I think are still kind of in the running for the college football playoff. Louisville technically is one of those nine teams, I would say, with one loss on the season. If they win out, if they beat Florida State, who knows? You know, I still think they need some stuff to happen in order to get in, but who knows if they do that. Louisville this week, they're kind of college football Cinderella, man. I mean, they started the year unranked. Now they're 9-1. and one. Now they're number 10 in the country in Jeff Brom's first year as head coach. With a win against Miami, Louisville will clinch a spot in the ACC championship game against Florida State. This would be the first time ever that Louisville is playing in the ACC championship game if they win this game. 
But and also a victory would obviously keep their playoff hopes alive as well. But Louisville is only one point favorites right now against Miami. Miami just went toe to toe with Florida State this past weekend. So it's not going to be easy for Louisville. And if they lose this game, if Miami does pull off the upset, North Carolina is still very much alive in the ACC championship hunt because if Louisville loses, North Carolina has to beat Clemson and NC State, and then North Carolina jumps Louisville into the ACC title game. So a lot on the line for the Cardinals in this game, Dalton. Big time. And I, and I think actually your scenario of them maybe stealing the four spot is kind of straightforward when you've got so let's think about it. Louisville runs the table. What mm -hmm. they're going to need, if I'm plotting, if I'm plotting this out right, Georgia runs the table because that's implied that they'll beat Bama, right? Washington runs the table. All right, that's a spot, and then the Big Ten champ gets a spot. Yep. Right. So the debate then would be, and I think the one other thing they might need is Texas to lose. Yeah, I think right. If you get a Texas loss mixed in there let's just say they rematch with oklahoma or something and oklahoma beats them again or, or what have you especially with jonathan brooks out they i think you would be debating louisville versus a one loss ohio state or michigan and i actually think it's a really good case especially to be honest against michigan yeah you go michigan at that point all they'll have done is beaten penn state yeah but we are we, we knew walking in we're better louisville louisville shut out duke they beat Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. They'll have a Florida State win. I'll be honest with you. A one-loss Louisville and a one-loss Michigan, I think Louisville, if we're going on resume... Resume would get in, should, yeah. ...should get in. I don't know if they'll actually go on resume because we've seen that... I, well, we don't know what the standards are for this for these <laughs> rankings. So, and, and obviously, Michigan would get better TV ratings, and I'm sure that's part of it. But, no, I, I, think, I think it's not as complex... As you might think, they're, I think they're very much alive. I mean, this is step one, and, and Miami's not playing particularly. They played well last week, but I think the rivalry factors into that. Miami's not playing their best football, and, mm -hmm. and Louisville plays much more fundamentally sound football, more consistently than Miami. This is going to be an interesting game. Really interesting game. So what is the matchup that you're really looking forward to in this Louisville-Miami game? I think for me, there's a spotlight on Louisville's defense. Mm -hmm. I, I think the first time we had them against Notre Dame, we kind of spotlighted like Jawar Jordan and Jack Plummer's like inconsistent, but like sometimes finds big plays. We went kind of the offensive route. Defensively, they're really, really darn good. Okay. Yeah. Ashton Gelati, one of just two Power Five edge players, along with Jack Sawyer, with 81 plus grades in the pass rush and run defense. All right. Just a wicked, consistent player. Best run D grade actually in the Power Five, six in pressures. He's he's a terrific player. Their edge players, okay, as a group. Where is he here? They're they're third best in the FBS. Wow. Okay, so they've they've got a team designed to stop the to rush the passer first. Second, their corners. Okay, Quincy Riley and their group of corners. Mm -hmm. All right, ninth best in the FBS. I'm going to give you some stats on Quincy Riley real quick. Since week five, all right, it's been a six games. Ready? Into his coverage, four for 21, 58 yards, two interceptions, and a zero passer rating. Wow. Lights out. They This team, they have 11 players with at least 100 snaps grading above a 70 on their defense. And obviously, those are the two stars. They've got a really, really balanced defense that is, to be honest with you, it's actually... Jawar Jordan gets the spotlight and what he did against Notre Dame and all that, and now now you've got now you've got two backs. You've got Garendo too, who's playing great. 
their defense is actually for as much as it's Jeff Brom and Jack Plummer and, and all their defense is the driving force of this team. And mm-hmm. and it's the reason they can play with teams like Notre Dame and Duke who have wicked defenses. And Miami's got a really good defense. They're rundy could cause Joar Jordan some problems, but yeah. you've got a team in Miami who's got the seventh worst pass grade in the country over the last three weeks. 12 interceptions since week six is the most in the country. We've talked about Van Dyke and how kind of terribly fitting it was that he came in for the last drive and threw an interception to end the game. I mean, that's that's Miami football right now is is their defense tries as hard as they can to keep him in it, and their offense just turns the ball over. They, they It's just not fundamentally sound football. And the same thing can happen against Louisville. They are Louisville. I'm, they are a top twelve to fifteen defense right now, if not better. Their defense has really, really come on in ACC play, and it's a dangerous unit. It absolutely is. I think they're sixth right now in EPA per play. I mean, they have been fantastic. Ron English, uh, one of their defensive coordinators, was just nominated for the Broyles Award, which we can we'll get into later. Uh, our guy Kirby Moore not getting even. As one of the 58 nominations is insane. Uh, and neither did Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator, who Michigan might have the best defense in the country right now. So that's insane to me that he doesn't get a nod either. But, um, yeah, my, my big story, my big matchup, at least I'm watching, is, okay, how does Tyler Van Dyke respond to getting benched, man? Van Dyke was, in the first half of the season, Tyler Van Dyke was awesome. You see these stats right here. In the first six games versus his last, really, three games for him, in the first six games, he's the third best passing grade in the country. Over the last three or so, he's at 130th in the country. Big time throw rate, sixth in the country in the first half of the season. Since then, 104th. Turnover worthy play rate, 33rd in the country over the first half of the season, 136th since then. This guy went from one of the top quarterbacks in the country, showing again why he was a projected first round pick before last season. Then he just fell off a cliff. He was benched against Florida State in favor of a true freshman in Emory Williams. But Emory Williams just suffered a season-ending arm injury in that uh, loss to Florida State. So that means Tyler Van Dyke is back in the lineup now. And like you mentioned before, this is not a defense that you want to get right against. You're not going to get right against Louisville. This is a really, really good defense. Like I said, sixth in the country in EPA per play this season. So my big my big matchup I'm looking at is just, okay, what TVD do we get on Saturday? Do we get the one that looked amazing in the Texas A&M game and amazing in the first half of the season? Or do we get the one who had to be benched because he was playing like one of the worst quarterbacks in the country over the last few weeks? Yeah, it's it's the big question, and that last number in that graphic is the big one, the turnover-worthy plays, because it's just he he's he's a vertical passer, and he's got a rifle of an arm, and he thinks he can fit the ball in every window, and and lately that's just not happening. Yeah. I, I mean, he forces balls into tight windows that he that he really shouldn't. Um, they don't they don't have the receiving core, not like right. So I told you, Jordan Travis was the highest rated uh, the highest graded passer into tight windows but he's got freaks to throw to right and for Miami I really like Restrepo but he's a slot yeah. guy and they don't have they don't have guys like that on the outside who will win all those battles when you're throwing balls in tight windows okay a lot of their offense is based on the deep passing game which is great when it works but it can be a problem when you have a quarterback that doesn't move pass protection that comes and goes and receivers that don't always win deep it's it's a combination of things against, especially against this defense they're about to play. That's an issue that can really rush the passer, that can really cover on the outside. Um, I, I think Miami. The big thing is they have to. 
if Van Dyke doesn't turn the ball over, they obviously have a great chance. I think any team works like that, right? Mm-hmm. It let's say Van Dyke turns it over twice. That I, I think for Miami to win this game, they're gonna they're blitz heavy. They've got some things that could bother Louisville's offense. They're blitz heavy. The run defense, the best part of their team. And if they can force Jack Plummer into mistakes, which he hasn't made a lot lately, but he still has some gunslinger at him, especially late in the play, they they need to find a way to create. If my, Miami, I think the, the easiest road for them to win this game, and it sounds basic because it kind of is, win the turnover battle yeah. both uh, on both sides of the ball. They're going to have to force a couple. And, and they really need Van Dyke to just play safer football. If they go, if he goes in there, obviously, and, and turns the ball over three times again, it's just not going to happen. The reason, really, the reason, and Williams didn't play great last week. You know, Jacoby George was spectacular, yeah. but Williams on the whole wasn't great. But the one thing he didn't do, I don't believe he had a turnover, or maybe one. Uh, I have to look back, but yeah, he, he. I thought, I thought, you know, for a true freshman, I thought I was pretty impressed by him. Honestly, he, he was, if if conservative, mostly he was at least safe with the football, which gave them a chance. Their defense too. Miami is the better part of their team. It's better than their offense, mm-hmm. and they they need to not give this game away. I mean, we've seen too many games. Pretty much all of their losses, they've just given away. Um, Miami, there's a case to be made that they should have had a lot better season, um, but. They could win. They could win this game if they can find a way to win the turnover battle. Yeah. So, um, so Emory Williams did not have a turnover in the uh, at least he didn't have a pick in the Florida State game, but he did have one big time throw, one turnover worthy play. So he didn't play great. Don't get me wrong, but again, it was a true freshman going against the fourth best team in college football. So that's you know whatever you can get out of him, you can get. And, and like I said, they only lost by seven in that game. So um, ultimately, Dalton, though, do you think you know it's only a one point spread right now? It's a very close spread. Do you think that Louisville? keeps their playoff hopes alive, and clinches a spot in the ACC title game? Or do you think that North Carolina is still alive for the ACC title game? I I do think this is going to be tight because of the style more so of play of these two teams. I wonder how much got taken out of Miami last week, the rivalry game, the the ultra-close finish at the last minute, the back-and-forth nature of that game. Um and, and, you know, to be honest with you, Miami's not like the greatest home field advantage ever down there. So I I, I'm, I like Louisville in this game. I think their defense is going to travel. And I, I think Ashton Gelati is going to be the best player on the field. I, I think he – Tyler Van Dyke doesn't move. And if you can get pressure on him especially and he starts forcing balls off his back foot, you start winning ball games because he starts putting balls where they shouldn't be. I think Louisville's pass defense – from, from back to front, honestly, is the difference in this game. Now, I, I, I totally see the path where Miami could win, and that involves Van Dyke playing a clean game. But we haven't seen him do that in a long time. Yeah. So, you know, if he goes out there and played like he did in week two or three against Texas A&M, yeah, they'll probably win. But I, we haven't seen that guy in two months. So I, I'm, I'm not going with it. I do think it's going to be a really rough defensive game. Jawar Jordan is going to get what he can – and I'll take Louisville twenty-four to twenty okay. in this game. Yeah, I'm taking Louisville as well, twenty-seven twenty-three. I think it will be uh, a defensive game for sure. Um, I, th- I do think you know George Jordan maybe could get a, a few creases and make some plays off that. But yeah, Miami. I mean Tyler Van Dyke. I like what Miami's got offensively outside of you know Van Dyke just being 
a roller coaster this season. I think their offensive line has done has done really well this year. Uh, Restrepo, you mentioned him before, he's been a really really good slot receiver for them. Um, they have a decent ground game as well. I think it'll be close, but I do think Louisville will ultimately come out on top, 27-23, and I think Louisville will clinch a spot in the ACC championship game for the first time in program history. So next game that we're talking about is number 22 Utah. At number 17, Arizona, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the Pac-12 Network. That is a crime that this game is on the Pac-12 Network. If you're wondering why the Pac-12 is dying, man, it's because we're putting these like a great game like this on a channel that nobody has. So I, I hate that. It should have been a Fox or FS1 game at least. But uh, the storyline of this game, Dalton, is Arizona having an unbelievable hot streak right now. It's won four straight games, including... Three of those four games were against top 25 opponents in number 19, Washington State, number 11, Oregon State, who we'll get to in a little bit, and number 19, UCLA. And also the two weeks before that, the Wildcats only lost to Washington by uh, seven, I believe. And they uh, No, excuse me. They lost to Washington and, U- and USC by a combined nine points. And USC and Washington were both top 10 teams at that point. So Arizona had close losses to them, and then they beat three top 25 teams and just beat Colorado this past Saturday as well. Um, now they're playing a Utah team, you know, has lost two of their last three games. Granted, it was against Oregon and Washington, which is, you know, the class of the Pac-12 right now. But I'm really interested in seeing if uh, Arizona, kind of the uh, the hottest, one of the hottest teams in college football right now that kind of came out of nowhere. I'm excited to see if they can keep this going against Utah. This was a fun one just because we haven't had Arizona yet, and, and the tape watch on this was kind of funny. Uh, here's the best way I can describe this. It is probably the least flashy hot streak you will ever find. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll start I'll start with the running game. Uh, Jonah Coleman, all right, he, he didn't really start getting run until week four. He leads the Power Five in rushing grades since that point, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not blazing speed either. What it is, I, I'm going to tell you something. You, you like what uh, some other places call angry runs? Right, Jonah Coleman is the king of it. You talk about a presence physically. I think the only guy that we've watched this year more physical at, at running back than him is probably Audrey Estime. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same. This guy is angry. He's. They talk. They, what's that phrase? He runs like he's mad at the ground. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the stiff arm, the physicality. There's not a lot of like breakaway 25, 30 yard runs, but there's a ton of runs in here of like. 10 to 20 yards that he, I mean, he runs people over. The tone he sets for their offense is is wild. I mean, he is, he's the guy that safeties don't want to come up and hit. And the other thing, too, and I have to give Jed Fish a ton of credit for this because he, he came into the year thinking he was going to have Jaden Delora and the dual threat and things a little more open and, and more big place, right? And then Delora went down with the injury, and Noah Fafitas came in. He was kind of the sensation when they almost beat USC. Jed Fish has done exactly what you should do when your backup quarterback comes in. And, and the, the the word the term I have for this offense is high percentage. Okay. He's completing 73% of his passes, 78% adjusted, six lowest average depth of target in the country, and a time to throw of 2.54 seconds, which is like in the 15 or 20 quickest, somewhere in there, right? High percentage plays. Run the ball with Coleman. Get six yards, 12 yards at a time, somewhere in that range. Not a lot of breakaway in this offense. They don't have a ton of speed, but high percentage plays that keep moving the chains. In the passing game, screens, 
quick passes, play action. You not you don't get much deeper than like a play action, like a 15 yard in route over the middle. It's almost a lot like um, it's like the college version of the way the Tennessee Titans were playing mm-hmm. when when Henry and Tannehill and that was really working. Like before, for some reason they traded AJ Brown. That it, it's kind of like that a little bit where they just move the chains and and especially the the physicality of Coleman starts it because you you just cannot don't you can't arm tackle this guy no i'm telling you you there is there is not if you just like like 1980s like physical running this is the guy to watch and and it's a fun it's a fun matchup when you've got a utah team whose run defense at least by the grading is not particularly good utah is very good at not giving up explosives Right, which is why Washington struggled early, and they ran the ball on Washington. If you, Eric, I'm going to tell you something. In the Pac-12, like we've talked about, UCLA is really physical. Oregon State's really physical. Oregon can get physical. This is not a team that I expected to like call as phys- like at times as physical as those teams. Mm-hmm. They can they can rough you up, man. I'm telling you. And it starts with Coleman and then just, you know, when they need, when they're in second and three, they're really dangerous because when they have a two-way go in this offense, even though they don't throw it down the field, they, Jed Fish, man, this team, this team, they're the kings of getting first downs. Yep. And and it's it's a lot it's a lot of fun to watch because it's, it's workmanlike. I told you, it's the least flashy hot streak in the country right now. But I think that, fun, that such fundamentally sound football works against Colorado, right? Works against USC. It's why they were in the game against USC. I got one other fun one for you on, on the safe football. Okay, their first two games, Arizona, they turned the ball over seven times. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, there was a loss to Mississippi State mixed in there. Right? Their last eight games, five turnovers total. Wow. They play as safe, as safe a football game. They don't beat themselves. And I think Utah gets a lot of credit for when they don't beat themselves. Arizona... That's why they're winning this these games. They don't beat themselves. And honestly, like three-quarters of the time, that's the key to the whole thing. You want to win, start with not beating yourself, and that's exactly what they're doing. Especially in college football, man, because it's a sloppy game, obviously, than the NFL, and if you let your opponent mess up, then, yeah, it sometimes works out for you. Jonah Coleman, five foot nine, 225 pounds. This guy is a tank, Animal. man. Tank. Uh, just for comparison, Audric Estime, I believe, is 5'11 and 227. So he's two inches taller and only two pounds heavier than Jonah Coleman. Uh, another guy, Jawar Jordan, who's right around that same size at 5'9, he's 185 pounds. Uh, or actually, Jawar Jordan's 5'10, 185 pounds. So an inch taller, 40 pounds lighter. Jonah Coleman's a tank. Not only that, he's a great runner, obviously. He's been a really good receiver for them, too. He's had uh, about 300 yards after the catch this year. Uh, he's a really, really. I think he's one of the most underrated, underrated running backs in the country. I feel like we every time their, we do a show, we talk about their underrated screen, running back. Their screen game with him and with the receivers is as good as any team in the country. They they really like him in the screen game. He's they Jed Fish. I'm telling you, if you're gonna run like a conservative offense in the screen game and with through your tailback, they are doing it to a T, man. It's spectacular. Yeah, Coleman right now 11th among all running backs in the country with 277 receiving yards this year. And Michael Wiley, the other running back there, has done a really good job in the receiving game as well. So I love Jonah Coleman. Um, One matchup. So I feel like when we do these matchups, we always talk about the overarching themes of these teams. Um, I kind of wanted to, for this game and the next game we're talking about, I kind of wanted to go player-on-player matchup that I think is really, really fun. Uh, Jonah Ellis against Jordan Morgan, man, is going to be an awesome 
awesome matchup. If you like the NFL draft, if you're a fan of the NFL draft, you're going to want to tune into this game. So Jonah Ellis, Utah's edge defender, has 13 sacks this year. That's the most among Power 5 edge defenders. Jordan Morgan, though, 89.4 pass blocking grade. That's the fifth among all tackles in the country. Ellis and Morgan right now on PFF's 2024 NFL Draft Big Board are both top 50 prospects in the draft. So if you're a fan of the draft, and not only that, um, Jonah Ellis most of the time lines up against the left tackle. So we're going to get a lot of reps from Jonah Ellis against Jordan Morgan. So it might not be, you know, it's going to be a big matchup for the game, obviously, but it might not be, you know, the big overarching deciding the game one. But if you're a fan of the NFL draft, man, this is a matchup that I'm really excited for because Jonah Ellis kind of came out of nowhere and all of a sudden now he's a top 50 pick probably in the NFL draft. Jordan Morgan uh, had a great year last year, has another great year this year. He's not only fifth in pass blocking grade, he's fifth in overall grade as well. Um, He's also probably going to be a top 50 pick. So we got two early second round picks going up against each other basically every single rep in this game is one of the best one-on-one matchups I think of the entire weekend especially if you're a fan of the NFL draft that's a great one and we've been on Ellis for weeks man I mean I'll tell you the the pass rush arsenal and especially the hustle late in the play the only thing I wonder is with Arizona getting the ball out so quickly if Ellis can get to some of those hustle plays but his arsenal is as good as anybody in the country. I'm yeah. telling you, and this is this is going to be a fun tape watch for the draft for both of these guys. It's just it's a prime matchup. And Ellis, the big thing with Ellis in the game itself is he's really when Utah only sends four when they don't blitz and they haven't been blitzing as much lately. He's really the one guy that gets to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's not a whole lot else up front. He's the one guy that wins those one on one matchups. And 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 honestly, especially if they can cover well and get Arizona to hold the football a little bit longer, then you might see Ellis start making a difference in this game. Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, Dawn, who wins this Pac-12 game? I actually like I like the Wildcats here for a fifth Ooh. straight. Um, I think the brand of football in this game really physical utah's run defense is not the greatest um i like what jed fish has going with this safe brand of football with a backup quarterback with coleman the physicality they've just they've leaned into it they have an identity and i really like that and utah i i think utah like kind of sort of has an identity we know what they want to do but i'm also going to give you some splits right here that that our utah fans are going to kill us for but (laughs) look the, the home and away splits are are just unreal, okay? Yeah. Offensive grade at home, 75.2, which would put you in, like, the top 50 or so, somewhere around, like, like Maryland or something like that's a good comp, right? On the road, 61.6, which is one point better than Iowa is for the season, Okay. <laughs> Defense defense is even crazier, all right? At home, their defense grades a 90.6, which is like uh would be somewhere, I think, in the top 12-ish, right? Mm-hmm. On the road, a 58.6, which I believe would be the worst in the Power 5. Actually, it might be the second worst. It's like somewhere in the bottom five of the country. Mm-hmm. Of, basically, at home, they're pretty much like the number 22 team that you see there, or like a top 30 team. And on the road... Uh, by the grading, at least they've played like are like one of the worst teams in the Power Five. Yeah, it's, it's a huge split when they're on the road, and I know they played Washington last week, and they played a reasonably good game, but they've spent all year outperforming their underlying metrics, and especially uh, it's not the same team on the road. And, and it was the reason I still was now that, again they didn't get blown out 
like I thought they would. They went out and played at least a good first half and then got shut out in the second half. But it's kind of the thing. You can't be that inconsistent. And I look at Arizona, especially offensively, I'd look at how consistent they are right now and what they do. And, and what there's not a lot of variance with Arizona, whereas with Utah, there kind of is. I think they're one chance in this game. They have to cover really well. I would come up and press man. I would make Fafita throw it over the top. Challenge him. Let's go. Let's go press man. Let's go, man. Let's like that game that game plan that they came out with against Florida earlier in the year. Heavy blitz, heavy man coverage. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, and Utah's got nothing to lose at this point. They're not going to win the conference or anything like that. I think that's their only chance yeah. of like of forcing the action here. If they let Arizona just do what they want on offense, Arizona's going to win this game. And I, I like Arizona to win this game. I'm going to take them 31 to 24. Yeah, I'm taking Arizona too. Uh, I'm taking them 24-21. I think the Wildcats, man, with Jonah Coleman, that offense is playing so sound right now. I know Utah had a really impressive game offensively against Washington on the road against Washington, putting up 28 points against Washington. They, they had an impressive first half. Impressive first half. Then they fell apart in the second half, of course. Yeah. But, um, yeah, then I just think, man, I again, I just I don't know. I, I don't trust Utah's offense enough for me to pick them in this game, even though I like what Utah's done this year. I just think Arizona's so hot right now. I'm taking Arizona 24-21. I think the Wildcats win their fourth top 25 game in their last five games. It's been an unreal hot streak, and I think it continues on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, again, it's, it's a hot streak, but it's also stable. It's yeah. very stable in their in their identity. It's not like Miami earlier in the year when they were hot to start was like deep ball, high variance, like wild stuff, right? Right. This is they're very like uh, Jed Fish, man. What a job he's doing. I'm just being real. It's they play such stable, like they don't have the talent of an Oregon, but like when I talk about Oregon plays like really stable, consistent football, Arizona's in that vein, man. I'm telling when they get more talent in there, if he keeps coaching like this, they're they're gonna be really good. He's going to be an interesting name for some jobs as well. I mean, the, there's a rumor that the UCLA job might open up with Chip Kelly. Jed Fish might not be a bad hire there. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of uh, interesting jobs that might open up that Jed Fish might yeah. be a candidate for, man. It's going to be really interesting. They're, they're a fun one. Am I, is it The Arizona teams are also going to the Big 12. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, they're going to the Big 12. Yeah, so they're, they're another. The they're, they're another kind of there's, – there's some dark horse factor in there I kind of like in the Big 12. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. It is, it is crazy that this is a team that – lost to Mississippi State, who just fired their head coach, and beat Stanford by one point. And since that Stanford game, they've been great. I mean, they lost to Washington by seven. They lost to USC by two. And then they won four straight, including, like I said, three top 25 teams. And they got a fourth one this weekend. So we're both taking Arizona in this game. I know our Utah uh, watchers and viewers are not going to be very happy with that. But I just like the Wildcats in this game, man. But the next one that we're talking about is number one Georgia. Now finally number one Georgia at number 18 Tennessee, 3.30 p.m. on CBS. Storyline, honestly, is can Georgia continue passing its brutal stretch of the season with flying colors, man? This is the third straight week that Georgia is playing a top 25 team. They beat number 12 Missouri by nine a couple weeks ago, you know, they won that game. Missouri's a top 10 team in the country. I know I understand that Missouri covered the spread in that game, but when you beat a top 10 team by nine, I don't care how much you beat them by, that's a good win for Georgia. And then they just annihilated Ole Miss this past weekend, who was a top 10 team, number nine in the country. They beat them by 35 points. 52 to 17 was the final score in that one. Now you got a worse team, I would say, than Missouri and Ole Miss, but still a top 20 team in Tennessee. Uh, and the other thing you got to keep in mind, both the Missouri and Ole Miss games were in Athens, Georgia. This game, 
is in Knoxville, in a hostile environment in Knoxville. So the back, defending back-to-back -back champs, yes, it is an easier game by opponent, but it could be a more difficult game with the environment they're going into on Saturday. Yeah, um, it, it can be. I'm just trying to. I'm <laughs> I'm trying my best to find what Tennessee's answers are. I, well, let, let's start with this. The best matchup in this game is your guy James Pierce Jr. against this Georgia offensive line. Mm -hmm. It's it's it's, it's it. they're number two. They're number two behind Oregon in pass protection. James Pierce Jr. has the third best pass rush grade in the country. I know Beck gets rid of the ball quickly. Their pass, their pass pro is really good. They have NFL tackles, all that stuff. If Tennessee is going to have a chance in this game, James Pierce Jr. is going to play the game of his life. That's the best on-paper matchup, strength on strength, in this game. Tennessee has to find a way to, to get back to run on the ball, man. Yep. They, only ran, they only ran, and I know they were behind, they only ran for 83 yards last week, and Jalen Wright only had 22. When we were talking about him earlier in the year, Jalen Wright – was really the engine of this offense, right? Yeah. It wasn't like last year where they're going to drop back and throw the ball and head and hooker and Jalen Hyde. Oh, no, they're not like that. It's just not. We've talked about this before. Tennessee's identity is totally flipped, okay? I don't think – I'm not sure they're real satisfied with what Joe Milton has has become. There, there just hasn't been a ton – and I know the weapons aren't the same, Yeah, but it, it's just not – it doesn't always click. It's very inconsistent. I, I think there's no more – I don't think there's a better embodiment of this team than when they played Alabama and it looked so good in the first half and so bad in the second half. And I know Bama's Bama, but they showed the flashes. And, and that just feels like what Tennessee is right now. It's flashes. But they need to get back to running the ball with some success. The problem is is they have the third worst run block grade in the Power Five since week three. They're not blocking well. It's not really Jalen Wright. And I know Joe Milton's been scrambling more lately, like I've been kind of asking for. You know, especially against Bama, he ran the ball like crazy. But they, it's 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 starting. I wonder if last week, if that was Tennessee football right there this year. It is, and I know it. I'm, I'm going to do the mini rant. I, I know I had the I had the big rant off air. I have no idea in the world why Missouri was the underdog at home. Tennessee Tennessee was favored at Missouri last week. I. I that was a travesty. Yeah. I, I the disrespect. Finally, Missouri gets the respect. I'm just throwing number nine in the country now. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, if I think if Missouri played Texas right now, I think they'd win. Yeah, they might. I'm, I'm, especially without Brooks. That's how good Missouri is. Like, the, I, I could call them legitimately the ninth best team in the country. In the last two weeks, 15 point dogs to Georgia covered. Mm -hmm. Underdogs at home to Tennessee. Nonsense. After Tennessee blasted UConn. Cool. I, Tennessee. You look at their wins this year, UConn, Kentucky by six, Texas A&M by seven. Uh, they're going to beat the teams they're better than because I think they're better than those teams. I, I, I don't know that they have elite football in them. No. I, I just not Especially if they're not going to run the ball well. I'm not sure where it's coming from. They need Pierce, and even without now without Kamal Haddon, like we talked about last week, they need this defense to have a superhuman effort if they're going to stay in this game. Yeah, and not only did Missouri win that game against Tennessee, even though they're underdogs, which I agree with you, was insanity. They blasted Tennessee in that game. 36-7 to was the final score. I mean, again, I hate that our, our your rant was off camera, man, because it would have been unreal vindication for oh, you just to was, be like... I, I, 
I was hot. I was hot. Had I known that during the show that they were underdogs, I actually didn't know that until you told me the spread. I, oh, I was hot. Yeah, I, was like, I wish. I, again, I, I just want to I know. Them. I know Missouri is our guys, and Kirby Moore not even being on the list for the Broyles is – I'm not even going to take that award seriously at this point. It's just It's a travesty. Nonsense. It's a travesty. I, I – you took like a, a – not good offense, and you made it a top ten offense overnight. I, I, I just cannot. And there's a there's 58 nominees, and he's not one of the. So you're telling me he's not a top. They, 60. He's not even in the top 60. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, what are we? What are we doing? I agree. But, I, you'll you'll see when Missouri plays somebody in a New Year's Six, and they win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you're like, oh my God, Missouri, what a year! I, and Kirby Morgan gets a head coach job and a really good job. Yeah. Then then we'll I say, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what the thought process is there. I've yeah. Yet. So just for people, like we've we've had a lot of great rants on this show, but just for people to know, Dalton's rant after the show of why Missouri, why the heck is Missouri an underdog at home to Tennessee was all, was that that was the best rant we ever had. And I'm, I'm I'm really mad that we didn't get that on camera. Unfortunately, that was my fault that I didn't mention it earlier. But yeah, man, I was I, I agree with you. But the big matchup again. So I had a tackle versus edge matchup in the last game in the Arizona Utah game. Another tackle edge matchup in this game. I'm really excited about James Pierce Jr. You're still right for me, man. James Pierce Jr. against a Marius Mims. Pierce, 91.6 pass rushing grade. That's third in the uh, country. He has third best pass rush win rate. He's fifth in pressure rate as well. Um, he's really staking his claim as one of the top prospects in the 2025 NFL draft. Of course, he's only a true sophomore, so he has to return to school next year. But we're going to be doing a mock draft after the season's over of everybody eligible. Everyone in college football is eligible. James Pierce Jr., I haven't decided yet. He might be my top edge in that draft, man, that we're going to do. I think he could be a top five pick next year. I think this guy is special. He often lines up against the right tackle, which means he'll have plenty of reps against Amarius Mims, who returns from his injury. Mims right now, the number 28 prospect on PFS Big Board. Zero sacks, one pressure allowed this year on 107 pass-blocking snaps. Also has an 81.4 pass-blocking grade this year. He missed six games this season. That's why he's only had 107 pass-blocking snaps. He had ankle surgery. But last week, he returned for that Ole Miss game. So he is back in the lineup now for Georgia. And with Pierce lining up against the right tackle on most of his plays and Amarius Mims being Georgia's right tackle, you got first round on first round, in my opinion, in this game. And that is, listen, I, I'm really excited for the Ellis versus Jordan Morgan matchup. And both guys will be in this year's draft. So that is huge for this year's draft and Pierce's next year's draft. But, I mean, you might have a top 10 pick in James Pierce Jr. And I've seen a lot of people have Amarius Mims as the number three tackle behind Alt and Fashanu uh, in this draft as well. So that is a matchup, I think, even better than Ellis versus Morgan. I think Pierce against Amarius Mims, that is the must-see matchup of the weekend, in my opinion. I, I, I like that a lot because you know what it does? It's 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 another one. We, I, I had this a few weeks ago with Talisi Fuaga. Justice for right tackles, man. Yeah. They're, just as, they're just as important. They're just, yeah, please, please start throwing praise on any elite right tackle that you see. Just uh, that's that's all. We had it with Fawaga. Now we have it with Mims. I don't care if he goes to the league and he's a right tackle. He doesn't have to play left tackle. Mm -hmm. If he's an elite right tackle, leave him there. I, I just that's that's another one. I, I'm on the train just on just for that. Just I'm on the Amarius Mims train for sure. Yeah, 
And dude, not only I, I'm really excited because Pierce, what he wins is his size and speed and his explosiveness. Like that's that's he's, or strength and speed. Speed to power is insane for James Pierce Jr. Marius Bams is a freak, freak athlete too. So you got two freak athletes, two superstars as well. Uh, I am so so excited to watch that matchup, and that'll probably say a lot about either guy, honestly, and how they perform in that game because that is NFL on NFL right there. And Pierce versus Marius Bams. Ultimately, Dalton, I don't, I'm not going to ask you if Tennessee will pull off the upset, but uh, how close do you think the Volunteers make this game against Georgia? 41-20. to 20. Yeah, I'm even worse. I have 41-17. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think much needs to be said. And, and the, one thing, the one thing I'll say with the pass rush thing and Pierce and all that, Carson Beck's only been sacked nine times all year. Yeah. I, he's not like Caleb I, Williams. He's not holding that ball forever. He's getting that ball out quick. So even if Pierce is beating Mims, man, that ball's probably out already. So even if even if Georgia doesn't play as well as they did last week, I I don't I don't see a road here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just I I think this is yeah I I don't I I could not think of a of a logical way that Tennessee could beat Georgia. A logical one, obviously, if you know. Some awful happen, injury or something, or you know they crisco all the footballs and everybody's fumbling <laughs> or what. But I, I I don't have a logical road for them, even even at Tennessee. Look, I mean, look at how Georgia's playing right now. Yeah, and honestly, look at look at how Tennessee's playing right now. Yeah. I mean, honest. Here's the best way I can start describe Tennessee. I think we talked about on Monday. I think there's a clear line, right? You have the elite teams in the SEC. Bama, Georgia, Missouri, LSU, Ole Miss, probably those five, right? And then you have, like, the bottom half, where right now I think we're sitting on A&M and Florida and South Carolina and the rest. And I think Tennessee right now is sitting, if there's a team that was the line, yeah, it's Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. Either you're better than Tennessee <laughs> or you're not. <laughs> and I, I, But I don't think Tennessee is in, in this class. I, yeah. I could their defense play up in the pa- but but even the pass rush thing Carson Beck it gets rid of the football he just doesn't I, I don't know it's like it's it's weird cuz I want to you know I want to be like well here's a way to beat Carson Beck but I just don't really have one I don't yeah. know <laughs> Yeah Bowers is back too I mean he returned against Ole and, and, like... and Bowers is back and he came right back he scored a touchdown last week is yep. that right Yeah Freak, freaking nature. Yeah, and then Lat McConkie, he's really picked it up too. I mean, that I just oh. don't know, man. You know what? Somebody brought this up to me, and I think it's a it's a great point. Lat McConkie is is going to be the guy. Now, maybe he'll go higher. Maybe people will be like, "Oh, wow, he's great." Maybe he'll go in the top fifty somewhere. I don't know if Trevor's got him up there somewhere that high. He likes him a lot. I know. I gotta let me see real quick. Why you? If he if he drops for for whatever reason, even into like round three. Like, you know, this year, every year there's one guy, and this year it's like Pukunakua, who, like, is the mid-round receiver that tees off. It could be McConkie. He's as good a route runner as there is in the country. He is. So Trevor Honestly, has a number I, 60 on his big board right now. So like, I, that's, that's probably about right. I might even take him a few spots higher than that. He's yeah. he's going to be one of the steals of the draft. Uh, Nakua, um, even, like, I remember Stefan Diggs was a fifth-round pick. Yep. I, I don't know if he'll be as good as Stefan Diggs, but McConkie – 
he's he's going to go somewhere wherever he's drafted be be just a really solid football player. He is. He's one of the. He's one. He is right now. He's one of the best route runners in the country. Like top, I would put him as a top five route runner in the country. So I. He he destroyed almost his corners uh, last weekend, and that's that's something I want to bring up and why I think Georgia's ultimately going to destroy Tennessee. I thought there was a world where Ole Miss can pull it off because, like we mentioned, with the if you have a really good ground game against Georgia, great, like Kentucky had with Ray Davis. But the problem is, is if you, if you have no threat of a passing game, Georgia's just going to key in on the ground game, take that away, and then you have nothing. Uh, Ole Miss, I thought, could have a chance because I think, okay, Quinshawn Junkins, obviously a superstar running back. But then Jackson Dart and those receivers, man, they're dangerous. And I thought, okay, maybe they could pull this off, and they got blasted by Georgia. Georgia manhandled them in that game. Tennessee has a better defense than Ole Miss, so maybe they can keep Georgia to a much lower scoring game. But at the same time, man, it's like I don't I like Jalen Wright a lot. I think he's a great running back, but then I don't trust Joe Milton to to make the throws necessary to win this game. Unless he has a Clemson performance. I don't know. I think that the reality is there's there's only five or six teams in the country. You know, I'll throw Missouri in there. You know what? I, they're they're another one. They played with them. I won't even I'm not, there's only like six or seven teams in the country that can play with Georgia. Yeah, this, that that could even step on the field. Honestly, yeah. you're going to see one of them, Alabama. That might be the game of the year. Missouri played a good game against them um, on the road, especially. I I didn't think Missouri played a bad game, and now they're getting respect. There's only a handful of teams that can that could even step on the field with them, and I, and I just don't. Tennessee got a good football team, but they're they're not one of them. No, they're not. So yeah, we both taking Missouri. I mean, we're both taking Georgia in a blowout over Tennessee, forty-one seventeen. I got you got forty-one twenty um, in that one. Next game we're talking about is a Big Twelve game, number twenty-one Kansas State at number twenty-five Kansas, seven p.m. Eastern time on FS1. This is. One of the biggest games in the Sunflower Showdown's history. That's the name for the rivalry between Kansas and Kansas State. So they've met every season since 1911. That means it's the fourth longest uninterrupted rivalry in the FBS right now. Right behind Wisconsin-Minnesota, NC State-Wake Forest, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, which will be ending after this year. So Kansas State-Kansas will move up to number three uh, because Bedlam is leaving with Oklahoma, you know, leaving the Big 12 for the SEC. And even though they've met, um, in a, this is their 121st meeting, even though they've met 121 times, this is only the second time ever that these two teams are meeting as ranked opponents. Uh, the last time that happened was in 1995. So this is only the second time ever that both Kansas and Kansas State are ranked in the top 25 in their matchup. So they've met 121 times now, and this is still one of the biggest matchups in, that, in the Sunflower Showdown's history. Yeah, and I think a big story really is you've got two excellent head coaches, Chris Kleiman, Lance Leipold. They've been rumored for a lot of other jobs, and this and for good reason. These are two these are two solid football teams, and it's not just they're, the funny thing is they're not the most like quarterback centric teams. Jalen Daniels keeps getting hurt. Will Howard, Will Howard's been up and down, and and kind of had the the rotation going with Avery Johnson for a bit. Although they've cooled off that, he seems to have regained the trust. He had the best game of his career last week. Um, you, but you've got some, you got some like well-rounded, like, especially in the running game, just some balance with these teams. It's, it's, they're, they're both a little weird, but they, these are two coaches that have built good football teams. You know, I, I don't know that there's a ton of elite players on each, but they, they just do, you know, schematically and they have balance at like Kansas state has four guys who can carry the ball. Jason, even with Jason Bean, man, Kansas competes. And, and yeah. last week, they really only lost that game because he got hurt. 
I believe it was 13 to 10, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 13 to 10. Their defense held Texas Tech to 13 points and, and, and lost. I mean, that's, you know, if they had been in there, they would have won that game too. And the fact that two years in a row they compete with Jalen Daniels getting hurt both years, I, I think it's I, – I, I can't commend these two coaches enough because every year both of these teams – are they in the national title picture? No. But they go through adversity. Last year K-State won the Big 12. Everybody yep. forgets that. And, and Kansas just keeps – they keep punching, man. Most teams lose – just like Arizona. Most teams lose your starting quarterback. You're a mess. You know, and they, they just keep punching. I, I, it's These are two fun teams to watch to watch because they just keep – they keep battling. They just they, – they, they're physical. They get after it up front. you got two solid offensive lines, and they just they, – they never – they they have moments and they just never they never quit. K State almost beaten Texas. Kansas upsets Oklahoma. It's you know and there's there's bumps along the way, but these two coaches they have the teams. They keep playing hard every week, and now you got them facing each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. So this is a big game for not only the rivalry but also maybe a little audition for both Kleiman and Leipold for the uh, Texas A&M job. I think I've heard their name, both their names thrown around a lot for that job. I don't know if either of them will be the top candidates that can't, that Texas A&M ultimately goes for, but if you win this game, Texas A&M might look at that and be like, oh, you know, maybe I'll take that guy. I don't know. The loser of this game I don't think will be a, a top candidate for the job. The winner of this game will be probably one of the candidates that Texas A&M really looks at. So that's a big, uh, big little, tiny little storyline too as for the offseason. So maybe the, the loser of this game, Kansas or Kansas State, would probably be happy that way they can keep their coach or at least won't have the risk and, of losing their coach but in case k-state looking at it now k-state's still very much alive for the big 12 title game mm-hmm. this is this is not this is for them still high stakes they could very they could very well be the team uh, there's a lot to go here there's, yeah four teams with two losses but they could very well get themselves a rematch with texas and I, i'm gonna be honest with you they without jonathan brooks now they could beat texas they yeah. could have beaten them the first time if they had did, did a field goal unit had it right yeah, uh, honestly, that's that is not. I'll tell you what. If I'm Texas, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd want the K State rematch any more than the Oklahoma one. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So yeah, the big matchup for me is just basically Jason Bean and whether or not he's able to play. So uh, I think that really hinges on Texas, uh, Kansas's chances in this game. Is you know he suffered a head injury in the second quarter against Texas Tech, did not return, ultimately resulted in a three point loss. And with him. With uh, Jalen Daniels now missing seven games this year with back tightness, and he's not going to be able to go for this week either, Kansas had to turn to their third-string quarterback, who's a true freshman. And not only is he a true freshman, uh, he is a walk-on as well. So shout-out uh, Cole Ballard for representing our show here. But true freshman walk-on, man, that's not where you want to be for, for Kansas. And he only had a 54.5 passing grade in the loss. I mean, if he has to start in this game against Kansas State uh, – that's not a great sign for, for Kansas. So I think ultimately that it really hinges on whether or not Jason Bean, who is already their backup quarterback, will be able to go in this game. I will say, though, this week Lance Leipold said that he is, quote, very optimistic that Bean will be able to go this Saturday. So hopefully Jason Bean will be able to go um, in this game. And that way Cole Ballard, true freshman walk-on, which we love, by the way, preferred walk-on. But at the same time, you, you really need Bean in this game to, to have a chance. So ultimately, Dolan, who do you have winning in one of the biggest games in the Sunflower Showdown's history. I don't know what's called that, to be honest with you. That's news to me. Um, um, I, I think you got two teams that are very similar, and I'm going to assume Bean plays, because if he doesn't play, it's it's K-State. Um, I'm going to assume Bean plays, yeah. and and I think this will be a solid game. The question for me is which run, what run defense shows up for these two teams. All right, Kansas State, Kansas State 
It's not a great run D, 108th in the country in run D grade. Okay, Kansas has this inconsistent thing going. The last three weeks in run D grade, the 14th, the three weeks before that, they were the fifth worst in the country. So whichever front seven kind of shows up to stop the run, and if it's neither, then we've got a different element. Then you get into the passing game. You know, Will Howard, I believe the only two guys he's trailing in play-action passing grade, I believe it's Michael Penix and J.J. McCarthy. Wow. It's, he's third in the country in play-action pass grade. It, check me, you, I might, you might have to check me on the names, but it was like two Heisman guys in front of him in play-action pass grade. So if they get to their their the foundation of their offense and their play-action, because Will Howard, best game of his career last week, regained, his tr- regained the trust of the staff clearly in the second half of that Texas game. You've You've got two dimensions, I think, with Kansas State. Now, Kansas can win. Devin Neal, if Jason Bean's playing, he can run the ball. He's good. Whichever team with more rushing yards in this game is probably going to win. That's that's just going to be the story. But I think the difference in the game is, even with Bean in there, is Will Howard. If he's going to stay hot like this and they get to the play action, although Kansas is a very good play action defending team, their secondary is not bad against the play action. I, I think I just trust both dimensions more with K-State. And it's on the road. It's going to be a tight game rivalry. These two teams are both really good. I'm going to take Kansas State 37-34. Um, to 34. Okay. I'm taking Kansas State as well. And to answer your question about uh, highest-graded quarterbacks on play action, so number one is Jaden Daniels at 94.3. That's right. And Michael Penix Jr. is number two at 93.2. And then right behind him is Will Howard at 93. So, yeah, he has been fantastic off of play action this year. I'm taking Kansas State as well. I think even with Jason Bean, I'm taking Kansas State. I like what Will Howard's doing a lot. I like the ground game, the offensive line, Cooper Beebe, who we interviewed, by the way, one of my favorite interviews I've done so far. Uh, I'm taking K-State in this game, 34-27, to pull off the road victory and win in one of the biggest Sunflower showdowns. I love that name. I I actually just learned that name, too, while doing research for this. That's that's one of the best rivalry names that we got, man, the Sunflower showdown. I love that. So uh, the next game that we're talking about, though, is number five Washington at number 11 Oregon State, the biggest game of this weekend, 7.30 p.m. on ABC. The storyline is honestly, is this finally, is this finally the week that Washington goes down? They've been playing with fire recently, Dalton. The first six games of their season, uh, excuse me, the first four games of the season, they won by an average of 33 points. In their last six games, they've won by an average of seven points. Now, you go to Corvallis to take on an Oregon State team. Now, of course, the first four games, they played relatively easier opponents, but still, it says a lot in their last six. They haven't played, you know, difficult opponents in every game, and they're still only winning by an average of a touchdown per game. You're going to Corvallis right now, take on Oregon State, and for the first time this season, Washington is entering the game as the underdog. They're two-and-a-half-point underdogs right now to Oregon State. So big storyline, honestly, is this, is this really the week, finally the week that we lose one of our five undefeated Power 5 teams? Uh, will this be the week that Washington goes down is my uh, ultimate storyline in this game? It's, it's the big story, and I think, I think what them being underdogs is based on, obviously, is recent performance. And, but I think, man, conference games and, like, Utah's a good team. And USC is still a good team. They got yeah. Caleb Williams, and and the one game, I think we kind of we kind of side eye at obviously is the Arizona State game. But Arizona State is they've been playing everybody tough, man. I'm like I, I I you know I watched their game this past week against I believe it was they upset UCLA, didn't they? Yeah, they upset yeah. UCLA. 
they they had they had Scadaboo playing quarterback for like a third of the game, throwing throwing nine routes and doing all this. I mean, they they just are like finding ways. They're, they're like that. They're that annoying team with the not good record that you just don't want to play because they just do all sorts of weird stuff, man. I'm telling I, I I watched I had that that UCLA Arizona State game for for some stuff earlier this week and I was like, this this team is strange. They just they come up with everything. So I, I I'm not gonna hold. I don't hold all that against Washington in the same way that I don't really hold it against Florida State. Like, I see too much of this narrative where, well, they won close games. Well, these are good football teams, and they won. Get over it. Like, it's still Michael Penix. It's still Roma Dunze. It's still a bunch of – Dylan Johnson had another 100-yard game last week. Look, Utah, there was a road where they could give them problems. And, And I think the biggest complaint right now is Washington's defense. Best defense in the country? No, absolutely not. But they sure show up when they need them to. Every time they need them to show up, right? You had, I believe it was a pick six against Arizona State. They did just enough against Oregon on fourth down. You know, USC, you give up 42 to USC. That's kind of like an average day, to be honest with you. Their defense shows up when it needs to. And and look, the big thing for me in this game is you've got, this is actually a bad matchup for both teams. Yeah. Washington, Washington is underdogs based on road game. Oregon State's run game. Yep. Reason, I totally get it. Horrible matchup. Washington, I believe, is 70, the 76th in run defense grade. Oregon's the best run blocking team in the country. Talisi Fuaga's going to find himself in the first round. Damian Martinez, the animal. Deshaun Fenwick. Don't, don't forget him, too. Big physical presence. I actually coached against this guy once or twice when he was in high school. I, what, hammer. Absolutely. We were just too small to tackle him at St. Pete. I'll, I'll be honest with you. He just, it, over the course of, he had like a slow grinding, like 220 or 230 on us. And it was just over and over. Mm-hmm. They, they Oregon State's so physical. I totally get why this is a problem for Washington. On the other side, though, Oregon State, I, I, I've got questions about their pass defense and if they can actually cover. Okay, because you look at their coverage grade, I think it's about a 90 and kind of tilted towards the top 20. But they have not played a ton of great units. Yep. And the decent units they have played, the three I'm going to highlight are Washington State and Arizona and Colorado. 62.8 coverage grade in those three games. And they don't get a ton of pressure. You, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Oregon State can hold up in coverage against these guys. They, you know, they don't blitz a lot. You know, it, it you know, they... It's weird. Like, the way they get pressure. So Every team gets pressure in different ways. Some teams are just really darn good. UCLA, they don't need to blitz. They got freaks, right? Some teams, you know, stunt and do weird stuff and find pressure. Like, we talked about Missouri uh, a couple weeks ago, right? Where it was like, they stunt and they find space and they confuse you mentally. Oregon State doesn't send extra guys. They do a lot of, a lot of what's called simulated pressure. I think the second highest rate in the Power Five, where... They'll show, they'll show you four, they'll drop off somebody up front, and they'll send somebody from a different direction. It's still four, but it looks weird. That's why it's simulated, because you think they're blitzing, and they're actually not, mm-hmm. okay? If you don't truly blitz Penix, look, I believe it's the only passer in the country better against four pass rushers, or less, is McCarthy. And McCarthy, I mean, that's that's in like a third of the pass attempts of Penix, because even, even when it's a close game, he doesn't have to throw the ball in the second half. So, I I don't even – Michael Penix, if you don't blitz him, there's nobody better. And if Oregon State – I said it with Utah last week. If you don't go get him, he's going to kill you. 
if you let him stand back there. Washington's offensive line is still really good. I have I have issues with Oregon State in this matchup too. I don't know if they can cover these guys. I, I'm tempted to think they can't because most teams can't, right? And and we've seen even especially against Arizona. I mean, it, it it's a struggle. I think what this is far and away the best passing team they'll play, and they haven't played a ton of good ones. But the ones they have played, it's been Washington State put up. Well, you know, that was when we were talking about Cam Ward on the edges of the Heisman race because of what he did to Oregon State. Honestly, now now we look back and I go, well, maybe this Oregon State secondary is an issue. Yeah. Maybe the pass rush, they, they don't have anybody who can win one-on-one in the pass rush. Mm-hmm. They have to like they have to find pressure. And if they can't create any for as good as a run game is, I, I would be I would I mean, obviously you're always worried about how in the world do we stop Penix. But I would be more worried about it if I'm if I'm the Beavers. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the match I was going to say too. Is they really have two contrasting offenses and really two defenses that I'm worried about in you know defending those offenses. Where Oregon State is a physical team, they might be the most physical. I would say they are the most physical offense in college football right now with what they're doing. They lead the nation, like you said, in run blocking grade, tenth in the Power Five in yards before contact per attempt at about two and a half yards before even contact they're getting per attempt. And then Washington's defense, meanwhile, you mentioned is like 73rd in team run defense grade this year. And then DJ Uyunglele, it's not even like Washington could put eight or nine in the box. DJ's had a decent year. They're playing to his strengths, like we talked about before the show. I mean, he he's really having a better year than um, a lot of people anticipated. He's really, I think, he's playing really well for Oregon State right now. Is kind of a compliment to that. He's not going to lead them to victory. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, he's he's a very good complimentary quarterback for what they want to do, and he can get out and run too. He's a very physical guy in the in the run game. Um, so that is that's another dangerous thing as well. I mean, on the other side of the ball, you mentioned it. I mean, their bread and butter on, on Washington is having an explosive passing game with. A Heisman candidate at quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. and the highest graded receiving core in the country right now with Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk. Hopefully, Jalen McMillan can hopefully get back in this game. I'm not sure what his status is, um, but even without him, they still have one of the best receiving cores in college football. Now, Oregon State has been the 18th best defense in the country in terms of how often it's allowed 15-plus yard passes, uh, explosive passes this year at 11.6%. But like you mentioned, they're not playing that many explosive passing games. This is a whole new animal that you have in Washington. They haven't played an offense that's even comparable to Washington's this year because, quite frankly, there aren't many offenses in college football that are even comparable to Washington's this year. So I am worried about both defenses in this game kind of just – dealing with the two different offenses that you have to go against and the physicality of Oregon State and then the explosiveness of Washington, I think there's a chance that we could, I don't know if it would be a shootout with how often Oregon State runs the ball, but uh, I mean, we'll get into the final score right now. I, I think both teams are, are scoring in the 30s in this game, by to predict. Yeah, I think so, but I think there's, I, I think there's a couple of, there's two guys we haven't mentioned, well, uh, you didn't mention there that I think of the could be the difference in this game. Dylan Johnson, look, yep. this Washington team, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. Good as Penix is, great as the receivers are, they are at their absolute best yep. balanced. When Dylan Johnson, another 100-yard game last week, when they get Johnson going, Penix is the best play-action passer in the country. Or no, he's second behind Jane Daniels now. He's second behind Jane Daniels and everything because Daniels should win the Heisman. We'll, yep. we'll get on that. We'll be on that more later. Don't worry. <laughs> They, they're at their best with balance, okay? Dylan Johnson, play action, under center. Physically, I, I want to be honest, like, offensively, these two offensive lines could have field days, I'll be honest with you. I, I think 
Dylan Johnson, and a guy we haven't talked about much, Braylon Trice, yep. edge rusher for Washington, okay? DJ Uyagalale, clean grade, somewhere around 90, top 20, 90, 91, somewhere in there. 59.4 under pressure. Get to him. You know, and look, Oregon State, it's tough. They use a lot of max protection. Oregon State's offense is outside zone, outside zone, stretch, 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 keep running off tackle, and then play action and take a shot over the top. Max protection, like two, maybe three receivers on the route. Uyagale, look, man, you're going to throw the ball 20 times a game, and they're all going to be <laughs> they're all going to be at least 15 yards. We're taking shots when people step up, deep overs, go balls, posts, that's it. They have leaned – why they're successful, they've leaned into his strengths, which Clemson never did. When he was at Clemson, they didn't do it. Lean into his strengths. He's a vertical passer, max protect, give him time. All right, play action, anything you can do to give him more time. Cool. If you're Washington and you've got the guy in Braylon Trice leading the nation in pressures, this is your X factor. Zoe Agale under pressure late in the play when he's got to start moving around. Off, like It's weird because he's got a cannon, but off-platform, Accuracies all over the place. Mm-hmm. Those two guys, I think, are, the, are could be the difference in this game. One on each side. Braylon Trice and against Fawaga. What a great matchup we've got Trice against Oof. this offense. We got some edge rushers this week, man. Don't we? I mean, my goodness. But you're talking about. I I really think. I'm I'm curious to see where this game goes. If Oregon State doesn't run for eight yards a clip. And if Braylon Trice can get pressure, which he's got one of the best pass rush grades in the nation, he's leading. He's leading the country in pressures. You know, we we want to rip Washington's D, but we're going to talk about what they do right. And this guy, this guy is what they do right, and he could make a major difference. Yeah, I got to look real quick to see if uh, Trice matches up a lot with the right tackle because that's again I, I talked about two. Uh, edge on tackle matchups that I really like and that's another one honestly man. I, I'm mad at myself that I didn't talk about that one because Braylon Trace against Talis- Talisa Fawaga is is fantastic I actually have an insane stat here Dalton that uh, I found a couple weeks ago and it still holds true right now so since PFF began charting college football in 2014 the most pressures in a game by a power 5 defender in first place was Braylon Trice last year against Washington State. He had 18 pressures against Washington State in that one game. In second place is Braylon Trice against Stanford this year with 16 pressures against Stanford uh, in this year's game. And then in third place was Aiden Hutchinson. If you remember that 2021 Ohio State game when he literally oh. took over that game, 15 pressures against Ohio State. That's That was... That was probably the best game I've ever seen a defensive end play in college. Yeah. That, that was that was nuts. Especially with all the, the NFL tackles that Ohio State had. It was insane. But just how insane is it that that is the third most that we've ever seen by a Power 5 edge defender? The first and second most in a single game for pressures is both Braylon Trice. This guy has games, man, where he has he had 18 pressures last year against Washington State. He had 16 this year against Stanford. And then that that's the most we've ever seen for a single game by a Power 5 defender. And it's both Braylon Trice. So, yes, I agree with you, man. He is a fantastic, fantastic player um, who could be getting a lot of uh, reps, excuse me, against against Talisa Fawaga. So, yeah, I, I am really, really excited to see what he can do this year. Now, he does play a lot against the left tackle, but at the same time, I think we We'll get some matchups uh, with him against Telly Safuaga, at least in this game. Ultimately, Dalton, Oregon State's favorite right now. 
does the number 11 team ruin Washington's perfect season? I'm I'm just call me stubborn. I'm not going to take Washington. I'm not going to take Washington to lose. I'm not even. I, I think I think they're going to get to the Pac-12 title game undefeated. I I, I just. It's stable. You've got Penix. What's working is working, and I know it's not as dominant, but you get in these conference games where everybody knows you and they watch your tape all offseason and all this stuff. It's hard. Right? Now they do. They have to not give up 300-plus rushing. Right? That's that's true. They have to play better in the first half of some of these games. Right? But I, I have enough questions about Oregon State's defense, and if Washington can find their way ahead. If I'm Washington... I'm, I'm, let's let's turbo this game up, man, because you know Oregon State's going to want to slow it down. Yep, they're going to take the they're going to take the whole forty seconds, and they're going to try to wear them out slow grind. If I'm Washington, I might take the ball first and go no huddle, and and, and just get into it. Don't get into all these simulated pressure looks and whatever else they want to show you. I wouldn't do any of that. I would I would go right right down the field, first drive, no huddle, let's go. And and I want to challenge this Oregon State secondary because I think. This is one of those games I've mentioned them in past weeks. Whoever scores first is going to be is going to be living right. I, I I think you want, especially for Oregon State, they want to be ahead and run the ball and out physical you and kill the clock. They don't want to they don't want to drop back. Look, a ninety. I would bet I'd have to see the numbers, but I would bet eighty to ninety percent of Uyaga Lay's best throws, play action. Mm-hmm. Get ahead of them. Don't let them just run every play, and they'll stay patient. Look, if they're only down seven, well, they keep running the ball. They're going to do what they do. Get them down 10, 13, 14, late in the third quarter. Get them to drop back. This Oregon State team doesn't want to be in the drop back game. Penix, I think there's more ways for Washington to win this game. I totally get the road. I kind of sort of get why Oregon State's favored, although I don't agree with it yeah. necessarily. I, I don't think this should go beyond maybe a pick them. Yeah. Like, I'm, not, I'm not really about Oregon State being favored here. It's stable. I know what they're going to do. If Martinez and Fenwick and even DJ run for 400 yards, they can, they, can they win this game? Sure. I'm not picking against Washington, maybe, until the Pac-12 title game. I'm picking Washington uh, as well. Let me get you a, let me get you a score. Sorry. Uh, 30, uh, 38-31, Washington. Okay. I'm going 34-31. I got Washington win this game as well. I, I think uh, – I talked about it before. I, I think Oregon State <laughs> – I like Oregon State a lot this year. Don't get me wrong. I, I really do. I think they're a really good team. I think they're a top 20 team in the country for sure. I think right now having them at number 11 is awful. Now, of course, it'll play out, and we'll see what happens with them at the rest of the season. I don't agree with them being number 11 right now, man. I really don't. How, how much How much lower would you put them? Where do you have them? 17. I don't think what they've done this year is that impressive, honestly. I mean, they, they beat Utah, sure. They lost to Arizona, it, lost to Washington UCLA, State. Beat UCLA. I don't like which UCLA I guess that isn't, much. Like, which I guess isn't in hindsight, but 11. I, I don't know how many spots I would drop them down. You have them at 17. Yeah, I so they beat uh, – so really they beat Utah, they beat UCLA, they beat Colorado. That's it. They beat Cal. They beat San Diego State, UC Davis, and San Jose State. Like they, I, I just what their resume shows this year. I I might put them. I might put them in. <sighs> See, I don't think Penn State should be ahead of Ole Miss or Oklahoma even. I put. I would probably. I, I would probably go like this. I would probably still go. I'd go Ole Miss eleven, Oklahoma twelve, Oregon yep. State thirteen, and Penn State fourteen. So I have 
So, this, so just for people who are wondering who, so I have the same top ten as the committee. I, I have Louisville at nine, but I have the same top ten, and, and that Missouri is number ten. I got Ole Miss at eleven. I got Penn State at twelve. I got James Madison at thirteen, uh, which I understand they're not in the playoff committee, but I, I love what they've done this year. Uh, I got Oklahoma at fourteen. I got LSU and Notre Dame at fifteen to sixteen. I understand they have three losses this year, but I still think their resumes are better than Oregon State, and I still think LSU and Notre Dame are better teams than Oregon State as well. So. I still have them. I, that might be a little too much, and I, I understand. So 15, I would understand, um, but I don't think you that's can put a, them above Oklahoma. That's a fun one. Is there a road where we could get a Notre Dame-Oregon State bowl game? Is that possible? Uh, I would love that. That's, that a, that's a gra- I would love that game. I'd want to see that. Yeah, that would be a really good one, uh, and that would definitely be one that we preview when we do preview the bowl games. But, yeah, I just – man – I, I would put them behind a lot of the two lost teams right now, and then I would also put them behind even LSU and Notre Dame. Like, I, I think, I don't know, I just think their resume does not warrant at number 11 in the country. I think that's insane to me. So, uh, again, I'm picking Washington. I think it will be a close game. Um, and Oregon State, don't get me wrong, Oregon State has every opportunity to prove me wrong. They got Washington this week, and they got Oregon in the Civil War next week, next Friday. They got every opportunity to prove me wrong and, and enter the top 10. But I just think right now having that number 11 is a little too much. Um, so I got Washington winning this one 34-31, keeping their undefeated season alive. All right, final game that we're talking about is number 7 Texas at Iowa State, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. The storyline, biggest storyline is, is clearly what does Texas's offense look like without its superstar? Because right when Quinn Ewers got back from his shoulder injury, they suffered another devastating blow. This one probably even more devastating in that Jonathan Brooks, star running back, tore his ACL against TCU. He will miss the remainder of the season, obviously. Before the ACL tear, he was the number one running back prospect on PFS Big Board for the NFL Draft. He also had the fourth most yards after contact in the FBS, and he had the most forced missed tackles this year among Power 5 running backs. Even after losing Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, they still have a star running back in Jonathan Brooks who unfortunately suffered that torn ACL. We'll see if he, if he even enters the draft now because now he wouldn't be able to do any of the pre-draft stuff like the combine, uh, like any of the all-star games that are now allowing juniors to participate so he would be allowed to participate. Um, he unfortunately, we'll see what he does after the season's over, what he decides to do, but it was a brutal blow for not only him and his draft stop, but for Texas's offense. Now you got C.J. Baxter, who's a true freshman, Starting in his absence, he was the number one running back recruit in the 2023 class. But still, man, it is really hard to fill those massive shoes left behind by Jonathan Brooks. Yeah, and and you just you wonder. And Baxter's a good player; he's played well. Yeah, uh, and I'm not going to you know a big 54 yard run. I believe it was against Kansas State, one of the biggest plays of that game. It's it, it is a major question because Quinn Ewers outside the Alabama game. It's still been up and down, right? Mm-hmm. And and his, you know, everything really on their offense was based on the, the most effective parts of it, at least, was Brooks and play action, right? Not but non-play action passing, just drop back passing. Quinn Ewers has a sixty-four point two passing grade. They really, and and it shouldn't be that way. Adonai Mitchell and 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 Whittington, right? And and. Jatavius Sanders, like they've got so many weapons, you would think Xavier that they Worthy, could just yeah. you would think that they could just drop back and throw the ball like these other teams and get after it. And they it just doesn't quite work for them. Jonathan Brooks is the heart and soul and engine of everything of this offense. Like it, it this is as bad an injury 
that a team in the country, like to a non-quarterback, as oh, yeah. any team could have. Yeah, this I, I don't think it can be understated how much harder. And I like C.J. Baxter; he's played really well. But is he that guy yet? Mm-hmm. Is you're talking? This is C.J. Baxter on. I'm guessing. I don't know. Eight to ten carry, ten carries a game, maybe mm-hmm. that we've freshman. seen. Yeah. I mean, you could legitimately, especially in this game, hand the ball to Brooks thirty times, and you know what you're getting. And now, now it's just. I mean, they lost their best player. Yeah. And and you know, I think going into the season, some people, Quinn Ewers is going to make the jump, and this no, the reason this Texas offense worked was Jonathan Brooks, and it's it's it is the big mystery in this game. Iowa State, look, you, this is not a team you want to start playing having to throw the ball yeah. against them. This secondary, and Matt Campbell has good secondaries every year and solid pass rushes, but this secondary, TJ Tampa is actually another guy I coached against in St. Pete, Lakewood High School down there. He played oh, both wow. ways, corner and receiver. He was a monster of the slot at receiver, to be honest with you. I was I was almost, when, when we saw him down at Lakewood, I was a little surprised he went and played corner instead of receiver, but man, oh man, both ways. He was a nightmare. But eighth best coverage grade at, say, at corner in the country, Carson Willich and Jeremiah Cooper, both in the top five in coverage grade at safety. They got this weird three-safety, like, three-three defense that that gives teams problems every year. And, and you know, I mentioned I, their secondary, man. It's just – it's so good. Like, they only allow 57% of passes to be completed. In the Power Five, it's only three teams that are better. Florida State, Ohio State, Notre Dame. That's That's it. Iowa State secondary, this is not the week that you go, oh man, Brooks is out. Quinn, we want you to, we need you to carry us, man. This is, yeah. this, at, in Ames, this is not the week that, that you want, that you want to go in now without your best player, especially with it being the running back. And, and they really, Texas has the advantage in the trenches in this game. But if you don't have Brooks, I, it's tough. There's big question marks right now with Texas offense because Ewers, isn't the superstar that he's looked like in the two Alabama games and Brooks, I, he was a heart and soul, man. Uh, it's, they got, they're going to have to be scratching and clawing for points in this game. Yeah. TJ Tampa is the number 41 prospect on PFS big board right now. I know Trevor really likes TJ Tampa. I think Connor Rogers also really likes him as well. So yeah, this is a really good, I, that was exactly my matchup. You stole it from me was that Ken Quinney step up, man, because you know, he has improved his grade from last year. He has an 81.1 grade this year so far, 72.4 a year ago. But he'll likely need to take his game to an even further level without Jonathan Brooks now. And he does have one of the best receiving cores in the country. Like I mentioned, Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, uh, Jordan Whittington, Jatavion Sanders, all the guys, they have, Isaiah Nair, all the guys they have there. And one of the best offensive lines. Texas's offensive line has done an amazing job protecting the quarterback this year. They have been one of the best pass-blocking units in the country. But again, Iowa State, I will say, Iowa State, the one thing that Quinn will have is time. Iowa State is not a good pass rushing team at all. They are 113th in the country this year in pass rushing grade. So he will have time back there. But like you mentioned, man, where they do excel is coverage. They have an amazing, amazing secondary with a ninth best coverage grade in the FBS this season with TJ Tampa, those safeties they got there as well. 
it is going to be tough sledding for Quinn Ewers and a, a big test for him now without his star running back that they give rely on. Because in so many games, when even Malik Murphy was playing, they were like, okay, Jonathan, just, just carry us to victory. We need you to carry. We don't have any pass game to speak of right now. We need you to carry us to victory. Texas has the potential to have one of the best passing games in the country. It's just on Quinn Ewers because you've got the offensive line that's protecting at an elite rate. You have... I would argue, in terms of talent, might be a top three to five receiving core in the country in terms of talent. Uh, it's just the quarterback has not delivered the ball consistently. And for Texas to not only win this game, but win the Big 12, and even if they get to the college football playoff, compete for a national championship, they need Quinn Ewers now to step up and be the guy that was the number one, the number one overall recruit in his recruiting class and one of the highest-rated quarterback recruits ever. They need that guy now. They need that guy to finally step up and for us to see truly if Quinn Ewers is a viable NFL starting quarterback um, or if he'll return to school next year like a lot of the reports say that he might do. So ultimately, Dalton, who do you have winning in what I think will be a really good Big 12 game? This is going to be an excellent – this should be an excellent game, and I think in a sense of that these two defenses are going to carry the day. Um, I, I'm, I'm worried about Texas. I, this this actually for me was the hardest game to pick. Yeah. Um, I I think we – I think there's a lot about Texas we don't know right now. You know, you talk about a team skidding by. Everybody wants to get on Washington and Florida State. Texas is kind of in the same boat. I know right. last week they took care of business, TCU. The by three, though. Um, I, I, it was close. This is going to be tight. This is going to be really, really tight on the road in a low-key, really tough environment. And Matt Campbell, I'm, I'm telling you, especially in the secondary, he puts together great defensive game plans, man. Yeah. he's He's been doing this for years. Uh, and I, I'm shocked still that he doesn't. He's another one. Why Texas A&M wouldn't call him, I have no idea. Matt Campbell's a spectacular coach. I think there is I think there's an advantage for Texas in the trenches. On one side like you mentioned, but Iowa State their offensive line is the second lowest graded in the Power 5 right now. And Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy for both for Texas are the two highest graded defensive tackles in the country. So I I, I Tavondre Sweat was actually the difference in that K-State game. He was the best player on the field. This is going to be ugly. And if for some reason Texas falls behind, they're in major trouble trying to throw into this secondary. But I think in games like this, it usually comes down to like the marginal battle in the trenches. And Texas does have the advantage. They have a decided advantage in both sides on the trenches. And I especially, I think Tavondre Sweat's going to be the, the best player on the field again. This guy... Man, this guy, he doesn't have a lot of sacks, but I'll tell you what, he's one of those guys, the impact, oh, it's, yeah. it's it's off the charts. And and Murphy, too. I mean, those two guys, I, I don't I, – I have no answers for how Iowa State's going to block those two guys. Um, I, this is this is going to be ugly. This is going to be a fist fight, man. And I, I won't – this is the hardest game to pick. I won't be shocked if Texas loses, but I'm going to take Texas 20-17. to 17. It's, it's going to be – uh, this is going to be a war, man, because I, I believe Iowa State's – are they still alive for the Big 12 title picture too? Um, I don't – I'm not sure. I think uh, right now it's Texas and Oklahoma State are the two. And then Iowa State, yeah, so they're five – yeah, they're they're one of the five and two teams. So they technically are still alive. Yeah, they are, they are alive. They, I mean, 
and, and obviously there's a lot to shake out in tiebreakers. But, you know, look, Iowa State, Texas, K-State next week, you never know, last home game of the year. This this is the one I think is in the most danger of, of any of the playoff teams uh, of going down. And, and honestly, I, I've kind of felt like I've been in this boat where I think Texas is the most likely of those remaining teams to, like, to lose a game that's not – obviously, Georgia's playing Bama and Ohio State, Michigan. To lose some other game, I, I don't know that they'll finish this season with just one loss. I, I'm going to take them in this game and not feel great about it. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah, dude, if Texas loses, there's a chance Texas might not, not, might not even play in the Big 12 title game, honestly, which would be crazy. Oof. That's insane because right now Texas is 6-1 and one in the conference, and then you got um, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Iowa State, and Kansas State all 5-2 and two right now. So you got a log jam for that last spot. If Texas loses, though, Iowa State is also 6-2, and two, as is Texas in the conference. Iowa State jumps Texas in terms of that, and then Oklahoma has a, has a tiebreaker over Texas, too, because Oklahoma beat Texas. I, I think for me, even if they do make it, I would not want that rematch with K-State. Yeah, I would not want that at all. Uh, Oklahoma, that's weird because it depends which Oklahoma you get. I would not want that rematch with Kansas State if yeah. I'm Texas. No way. I think Oklahoma State probably is the one they probably want the most because I think that run defense can slow down Ollie Gordon enough. And if you slow down Ollie Gordon, you're winning that game against Oklahoma State. But, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's going to be really interesting how the Big 12 shakes out over the next couple of weeks. But I also have Texas winning this game. I think it'll be close, 28-20. Uh, I think Ewers does just enough without Brooks. And I do think C.J. Baxter, that's a really good number two running back to have, man. It's not like you're going from a superstar to who knows. You have a really good number two. He's a true freshman. But I think – in a couple of years, he will be a superstar for Texas in that backfield, and maybe that starts this week. Maybe he establishes himself as one of the top running backs uh, in his class right now, as he was coming out of high school. He, like I said, he was a five-star number one running back coming out of high school. I believe his comparison was Larry Johnson, uh, former Penn State great, former Chiefs great as well. Bigger running back. I like C.J. Baxter a lot. It's just trusting a true freshman to come in and be the guy. We'll see. We'll see for the Longhorns. But I think Texas wins this game, and they keep their playoff aspirations alive. But that's what we got for our Week 12 preview, previewing six massive games for Week 12 and only a couple more regular season weeks, guys. And then we got the conference championship Saturday. So, again, please like and subscribe to the channel. And also, please follow us on any of our podcast channels as well, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever, and leave a five-star review there. Ask a question there, and we'll eventually get to them uh, in a future mailbag episode that we'll do as well. But for producer Eli back there, for Dalton Wasserman, I'm Max Chadwick, and we'll see you guys next time.